If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. When it comes to picking the perfect treats for your dog, Stuart makes the choice easy by keeping it real. Real ingredients, real nutrients, real benefits. Stuart dog treats are free from additives, corn, soy, wheat, and grains. Plus, they're freeze-dried to lock in all the great nutrition and natural flavor your furry friend deserves. Stuart freeze-dried dog treats. Big, tail-wagging nutritional benefits. Available on Amazon.com today. I'm in a very uh, heated cycling competition with Dirks Bentley. Oh, I've heard about this. Uh, it's, it's a little confusing because we have to wear the spandex and shit like that. Hello from Nashville. I'm Kelly Sutton, and welcome to the season one finale of Country Heat Weekly. Amber Anderson is my co-host, and we are talking to you like we do each week from Music Row in Nashville. We are country music ground zero. Yes, we are. Yeah. And Monday, we were in the heart of all the music in Music City for Let Freedom Sing, Nashville's annual 4th of July bash, headlined by our friends Old Dominion. I mean, the fun thing is, backstage, you said, uh, I wonder how many times I've seen Old Dominion in the last two months. Yeah, basically. I said, how many times can one see Old Dominion in like a month and a half, two months' time? What's your record? Saw them opening for Kenny Chesney. Right. Saw them at their pop-up show the night before that. Right. They were playing the night I hosted CMA Fest and Fourth, Fourth of July. July. Four times. That's it, pretty solid. I, I admit, I am an Old Dominion super fan. I, I admit this. I think we need to do a fanning out segment with you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> You know what? Oh, Saying though, but the Fourth of July here was so amazing. You got to host the Amazon Family Fun Zone earlier yeah. in the day. Yes, we had some WWE wrestlers that stopped by <laughs> to talk about SummerSlam, food trucks, inflatables. Really, really great live music all day long. And then I came down and got to hang out with you as Aww. you hosted the main stage. We had nearly three hundred thousand people in downtown, packed in to not only watch Levi Hummin, Cassidy Pope, Gramps Morgan, which, by the way, big fan. He was so fun. He's fire. Just a new one. We're throwing it out there for you. It's reggae meets country. We'll discuss later. <laughs> and, I, you know, I love Cassidy, so I was rocking out. She was amazing. And then Old Dominion comes in headlines. We had the biggest fireworks show we've ever had in Nashville history, all set to the live music performed by the Nashville Symphony. It was absolutely incredible, and we loved being a part of it. Guys, if you missed out on it, we invite you to come and hang out with us because we have another big event coming up in the city. It will be Nashville New Year's Eve. That's when we do the note drop and Can't all the fun that. stuff. And we always have live music. So Music 
City is coming to life. It's the place to be. It is. We love it. But we have a really fun show planned for you today as we catch up on all the news out of Nashville, rediscover the countryside of Elvis, and let you listen in as Luke Combs shares a story you won't hear anywhere else. I have been dying to share the story with everyone. I know you have too. It is a wild ride involving a private jet, a mysterious suitcase, an MIA songwriter, and a dine and dash. Y'all are so, so not ready for this. (laughs) I'm telling you. Buckle up. So Luke Combs was our guest on the pod last week, but we're closing out the season with country's other Luke, Luke Bryan, from the CMA Close-Up Stage. That was a crazy week for Luke. I mean, he just launched his new tour in West Virginia. He played a big festival in South Carolina, then hightailed it to Nashville to do our interview before playing the CMA Fest stadium stage that night. And in the process, he almost canceled his son's birthday party. Oh, that's right. I forgot. (laughs) He'll tell that story and share some CMA Fest memories, as well as some really great advice for new artists a bit later in the podcast. One thing you won't hear Luke talk about, though, is his new single, Country On. I say, hey, hey, USA, we ain't seen our better days. Hell no, hey, y'all, Country On. We had no idea at the time. We're talking less than a month ago. We had no idea there was new music coming. So when it was announced just after CMA Fest, we were like, why wouldn't he have told us that? Well, the answer is... He didn't know. <laughs> that day, I was. we were calling some people. The day I actually had a meeting about the song with some of my label, some of the vice presidents of the label, and we started talking about it. So, yeah, we, it kind of happened so fast. I didn't really have a chance to really have to you know, be tight-lipped about it too long. Okay, so that makes sense. You'll hear it in the interview about his crazy week. And we know we were early in the day, so it sounds like just after he taped the podcast with us, he had those meetings. I love all the shout-outs to the truckers and the farmers and the bartenders and the first responders in this song. Now, Luke didn't write it, but it's easy to see why he wanted to record it. I mean, I'm a country artist singing music to country people, and, you know, I try to think about what my fans and what most of your country music fans out there what makes them wake up every day and 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 get to work and get to rocking and I think when you hear hey hey USA we ain't seen our better days I mean I love what that says when you hear all of the segments of the of of human beings that are represented in this song and and then when you partner it up with hey let's let's look at putting this thing out on Fourth of July weekend it seems like a song that everybody can rally around and really enjoy listening to also. A little sweet tea. Luke did a video for this song last week. He shot it downtown on Broadway in the early morning hours. And we know the video features military service members and officers from the Metro Nashville Police Department. Ooh, I can't wait to see it. Okay, so we've covered the big 4th of July bash with Old Dominion. Check. And new Luke Bryan music. Check. Is there anything else cooking in country music? Mm, Let's head to the kitchen and find out. What's Cooking is the current events section of the podcast where we catch you up and provide some commentary on the week's big headlines. 
Okay, let's start with Carrie Underwood. She spent two nights performing with Guns N' Roses in the UK last weekend. Her pictures on social media. I mean, I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, this look works on her. It sure does. It works. (laughs) Carrie was channeling her inner rock chick. She had big 80s curly hair. Her wardrobe was on point. You may remember Axl Rose, Guns N' Roses lead singer, popped up with Carrie on stage at Stagecoach earlier this year. So it sounds like she was returning the favor. I saw an article where Carrie said she and Axel are best friends. I love this. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think, like, our sweet all-American girl Carrie hanging out with a band like Guns N' Roses. Like, what would they have in common, you would think, right? <laughs> uh, music. Music yeah. is the common denominator. That's the truth. That's the truth. If you were at one of the shows, we want to see your pictures. So please, drop the hashtag Country Heat Weekly on your post so we can see. Shout out to Mickey Guyton, who was recognized Sunday at the Crown Awards in New Orleans, which honors Black females who have significantly shaped the beauty landscape. No doubt, Mickey was honored for her song, I Love My Hair, and that iconic performance on the CMA Awards with Madeline Edwards and Britney Spencer. She was introduced that night by Faith Fennedy, who authored the Crown Act, legislation to make race-based hair discrimination illegal. It was Faith's story that inspired Mickey to write that song. 17 states have enacted the Crown Act into law. Way to go, Faith. And congrats to Mickey. Speaking of awards, Lauren Elena honored Trisha Yearwood with the CRB Artist Achievement Award last week. I saw that. So cool. Okay, so CRB is Country Radio Broadcasters. And that particular award they give to someone who has made a significant contribution to the country genre and country radio. Okay, so... These types of honorary awards are always such a mystery to me. Okay. Like, obviously, love Trisha. She's amazing. But why would it be after all these years, they finally decide that she's made a big enough contribution to be honored? I guess I'm just wondering, why now? Maybe it's like giving flowers to someone when they're living. Yeah. I mean... I don't know how all of that works, but not to be outdone, Trisha's hubby, Garth Brooks, will be given the Chris Christofferson Lifetime Achievement Award this fall. He's only the fourth artist to ever be given this honor, following Loretta Lynn, Bill Anderson, and Willie Nelson. A Lifetime Achievement Award makes more sense, Mm -hmm. and this one celebrates iconic country songwriters. I saw where Chris said, it's pretty damn embarrassing to give a man of Garth stature an award with my name on it. Oh, (laughs) we love you, Chris. Knowing Garth, he is going to say that he doesn't deserve an award with Chris's name on it. But... He's going to get it. September 20th during the Nashville Songwriter Awards at the Ryman. One more thing. Here's a story that can make all of Kelly's dreams come true. (gasps) Okay. I saved it for last. I'm ready. The Dollywood Foundation is doing a fundraiser where you can stay in Dolly's tour bus at Dollywood. Oh, my gosh. Sign me up. (laughs) It's her actual tour bus. Not one that she just sat in once, right? Like, this is the one she used. Yes. This is the bus she used from 2008 until March of this year. It's got more than 360,000 miles on it, and Dolly has actually written dozens of songs in it. Can I book it for, like, a week? I mean, can can we tape a podcast episode on there? If we could afford it. (laughs) You have to stay for a minimum of two nights, and it's (gasps) $10,000 a night. Oh, well... 
Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, it is for the Dollywood Foundation, so it's a good cause. It would be a tax write-off. Can we start like a GoFundMe to make this happen? I'm here for it. Talk to your accountant. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> okay. We'll figure something out. Our heat index today is actually a hybrid segment, part heat index focusing on music you hear on the Country Heat playlist. In part, fly on the wall, where you get to eavesdrop as our microphones capture extra fun moments with the stars. So Luke Combs has a song called Tomorrow Me on his new album, Growing Up. It was a grat track, which means it was released ahead of the album's release, and it was sent to fans who pre-ordered the album. been hearing the song for a while, you are about to hear it in a whole new light. Writing it was an epic adventure, and Luke had never told the story until Amber innocently asked this question. You co-wrote a song on this album called Tomorrow Me Mm -hmm. with Dean Dillon. Yes. Who, if our listeners don't know, Dean wrote every big George Strait hit. Yes, if our listeners don't know, they should should be ashamed of themselves. He's in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Yes. He is a legend. Was that intimidating for you at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want me to get into this? This is a great story, oh, by good. the way. How much Settle time in. do we have in Settle the booth? In. How much time do we have? So, this is a true story. True blue. I've, I don't think I've ever told this story, honestly, to anyone outside of, like, my buddies and stuff. But it sounds made up when I tell you. Okay. I'm so ready. So, let's understand where I'm at in my career when this happens. So, my best friend and frequent co-writer, Ray Fulcher. Turkey hunted with him this morning. Used to live in my guest house. I mean, we're like homies. One of my closest friends in the world. And this is a year before the pandemic, probably. So early, probably spring 2019. Okay. I'm just absolutely crushing it. No way around it. Not trying to be arrogant. I'm really not saying that I'm a huge big-time guy. But I was huge at that moment. Numbers don't lie. It was, right. (laughs) Right. And so, anything that I did at that time, you know, is more, it's more of a thing to, like, move me to a place or go to somewhere, like, go in a store or, like, it's kind of like, I wasn't even, like, comfortable with it yet. Now, I've just fully accepted it and it doesn't bother me anymore. But at that time, it was still really like, oh, man, I don't know. So, Ray comes to me and he goes, hey do you want to write with Dean Dillon? And I was like, dude, absolutely. The guy's like one of my heroes. And I go, how did this come about? Because Dean's one of those guys like, you can't, you know, you don't know how to get in touch with him kind of thing. Like, how do you get in touch <laughs> with I don't think he has Dean, a cell phone. Dean, <laughs> right, you know? <laughs> and so he goes, well, he's like, I met, you know, this girl at a writer's night and she said she knows Dean and he said he wants to write with you and Luke. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not, it's just not how that stuff usually goes. Like a girl at a bar saying, do you want to write with Dean? And it's like, sure, sure. So I'm like, sure. And he's like, this wouldn't be for a few months. And I'm like, okay, cool. So then Ray comes back to me. He goes, okay, we're going to write with Dean. And it's going to be on this date. Cool. It's going to be on a yacht in the Bahamas. Okay, even cooler. Love it. Still at this time. I'm playing arenas. There's channels. Like, if I need something done or if I'm interested in something, 
I can talk to my manager or whoever and go, hey, man, vet this thing out, feel this out. What do you think mm-hmm. kind of deal? So we're getting close, day or two out. I'm like, Ray, is this happening, man? Like, I don't have Dean's phone number. We haven't talked to Dean. He's never met us. He doesn't know what we look like or what I look like or anything. Like, I'm like, there's no way this is happening. Like, what? Like, how are we getting there? Where are we going exactly? <laughs> so Ray's like, I don't know. They said there's going to be a plane at the airport at this time and get on it and it's going to go. And I was like, okay. So sure, sure, sure. The next morning, we go to the airport, and there's this little Learjet on the runway, and we get on it. So, and we're thinking we're going to meet Dean. He'll be on there. He'll yeah, he's waiting for you. Nope. Hey, how's it going? No. Oh. <laughs> Me and Ray step aboard this small plane. Pilots are like, all right, we're going. Take off. Where are you taking us, sir? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what me. I'm kind of thinking. I'm like, Excuse oh, me. man. This so, is how every horror movie starts, oh, it gets, by the way. It gets better. Like, we get on the go plane. Somewhere. We land. And I'm like, oh, man, that was sh- We're not in the Bahamas. We're in Marco Island, Florida. Okay. So I'm like, okay. Guess we're stopping to get Dean or something. Like, I don't know. I, I, I really don't. Gas, Dean, so, something. Guitars. <laughs> so we get off the plane. The pilots are like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're you know, just doing a quick stop to get some fuel or whatever. I was like, oh, cool, whatever. So, like, why don't you all go sit inside while they fuel the plane up in the, what do they call FBO mm-hmm. is what it's called. I'm not sure what that stands for, but it sounds, I hear it in rap songs a lot. I don't either. I feel like it's fancy. <laughs> so, we go sit in the FBO, Marco Island, and this guy comes in. He's got a big suitcase. And he's like, hey, I'm supposed to meet up with you guys and give you the suitcase to take on the plane. And so I get it from him, and it is so heavy. I mean, it weighs like 150 pounds. Mm. So I'm like, what is this, dude? Like, are we about to be drug smugglers right now? What is happening? So anyways, I, like I said, I don't know who to could talk to or call or anyone involved in this process. So this guy that brings a suitcase is like, hey, blah, 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 yeah. He's like, let's go have lunch kind of thing. I'm like, perfect. Let's go have lunch. So we get in this guy's car in Marco Island, Florida, load the, you know, 500-pound suitcase in the plane, go have lunch at a bar. So we're sitting there. We're sitting at the bar, me and Ray and this gentleman. We order food, and he gets a call on his phone, answers his phone, panicked. He's like, Yay, yay, yay. So we, we're eat, we've we eaten, but we're kind of just like waiting. And I guess this was the call like, hey, we need the guys back to the plane because we're going to take off. Okay. And he's like, we got to go. We got to go now because he's like, I'm a regular at this bar. It's cool. Like, I, they'll put it on my tab. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we get in the car with the guy. There's a man running through the parking lot, <laughs> and he's beating on the window of this car. And he's like, you didn't pay your tab, blah, 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 yelling at us. And I'm looking at the guy like, bro, we just done what, what are you doing, dude? What is happening? And so Ray rolls the window down and just like gives the guy $200. He's like, sorry, bro. We're with this guy. We don't know this guy. Oh my gosh. I have no idea who this guy is. Sorry. Like we're, it wasn't us. Like, so we get back to the plane. <laughs> then we take off with the sketchy suitcase and we land in Key West. 
Wait, which what? is not it's far. Still not in the Bahamas. No, 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 no. no. Okay. Which is not far from Marco Island. It's a 20 minute flight. Right. Boom. Dean pops on the plane in Key West. I'm like, oh my God, he's here. It's really here. Here he yes. is. This is real. He's here. Oh, no, my no, God, no, he's here. Suitcase in a one No chance. I okay. asked the pilots. It's a boat part mm. for the for the boat. Okay. Which makes sense. I did open it okay. to verify because I was like, I'm not getting <laughs> Thank you. busted on international <laughs> drug smuggling charges at the height of my career. <laughs> I mean, I know this story ends well, but I'm still sweating for you right yeah. now. I'm sweating. So then, sweating so then we, we take off from Key West. I'm like, we're talking to Dean, chatting it up. He's like, yeah, dude. So he's like, so the guy that owns my publishing company, this is his boat. And he's like piecing it together. And I'm like, oh, gosh, thank God. Somebody this has is real. told us this. Right. But like, <laughs> again, you don't know. So then we land and I'm like, cool, we're in the Bahamas. But we land on like a f- like 10 acre island that's like, it's like trees and a runway. Uh oh. And we land and we're like, I mean, we're coming in hot. And, like, smash the brakes when we land and stuff. And those pilots are like, oh, that's about the smallest runway I'd ever want to land this plane on. And I was like, well, I'm oh, glad you didn't, you didn't tell me that tell before me. we landed. Holy cow. Because I'm having a panic attack. We get off, and this is where we go through customs on this little island. And I'm like, oh, this is an odd, this yeah. is an odd thing. So we take off again. We go through customs. We take off again. And then we land in Exuma. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. Then he's like, we get out of the plane, and I'm like, Dean, so who's picking it? He's like, well, man, I don't know, you know. And he's kind of like, doesn't know either. And like, and he's just like, he's like, man, I got to smoke a damn cigarette. And we get off, and there's just like two Bahamian guys. I don't know them, I think. They're in vans, and they're like, yeah, you're the guys. And we're like, okay, great, we're the guys. Get in the van and like drive. They're like driving like maniacs through this like backwoods <laughs> island. And we pull up to just this dock. There's like chickens running around. And it's like, it's not like a resort. Right. It's not like we're, this oh, is... we're at some nice thing that's, you know, you're supposed yeah. to be here kind of deal. Yeah. So then we get off, we unload our stuff out of this thing and get in like, we call them a popping sink. It's like an inflatable boat mm. with like a, you know, mm-hmm. the hand engine on the back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And we've got all our suitcases. We've got the sketchy the boat suitcase, park. boat park thing. And and sure as hell, we get in. There's a 80-foot yacht sitting out, like, to like 15-minute boat ride off the dock out, just sitting in the bay in Exuma. You know, the great thing is uh, you don't even have to really storyboard now your video because you just described that the it. Video. That's the video. <laughs> It was it was like I was I couldn't believe that that we didn't get abducted. We kind of did by the guy at the restaurant, going to the restaurant with. <laughs> Truly. Cuz we found out that he was just supposed to be delivering a boat part and was just like you bros want to come have lunch and we're like for sure. We thought he was like a guy we were supposed to like know or like feel safe with or something. He was just a, some strange man who delivered a boat part and then, like, made us dine and dash at some <laughs> some tiki bar on Marco Island. It was, like, okay. complete insanity. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Complete insanity. And that guy is telling all his friends. Yeah, he is. Maybe. <laughs> we can never <laughs> listen to Tomorrow Me the same way. Ever. <gasps> nope. A complete movie will play in my head every time I hear it. (laughs) Find Tomorrow Me and all 12 songs on Luke's new album, Growing Up, on Amazon Music. 
before we hit the break, I'm going to read a quote from one of the artists on the Country Heat playlist. And everyone listening at home needs to try to figure out who said that. This week's quote, I'm just waiting for my wife to become more famous than I am, and then I'm going to let her do everything. (laughs) Okay, who said that? Keep listening, and we'll tell you right here on Country Heat Weekly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Okay, it's time to tell you who said that. I'm just honestly waiting for my wife to become more famous than I am, and then I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to let her do everything. Thomas Rhett! It's been pretty hilarious to watch how my fans have just gravitated towards my wife so much. And it's been really cool because my wife obviously is so involved in charitable work. And I just become more proud of my wife every single day. I mean, it's going to happen. Lauren will be more famous than her hubby one day. If she isn't already. We have a five-time Entertainer of the Year joining us. He's won 50 major awards, sold nearly 13 million albums and has had 29 number one hits. He's also earned 68.5 million RIAA certified digital singles, which is more than any other country artist, but who's counting? We are. (laughs) (laughs) And so is he. (laughs) He just wrapped up his fifth season as a judge on American Idol and then moved right into his Raised Up Right tour, which kicked off on Thursday night. You know his music. You know his story. You know his dance moves. Please welcome Luke Bryan! What's up? What's up? Hi! This is a hellacious crowd in here tonight. Yeah. Today. CMA Fest, it's here. We're all tired. We're going to go get some IVs. We're going to eat some hot chicken and get through this thing. Speaking of getting through this thing, uh, walk us through your last 48 hours. We started the Raised Up Right tour Thursday night in Charleston, West Virginia. But what's interesting. Okay, West Virginia, we hear you. There you go. So we started there, but we um, typically we'll go in and rehearse two days before the actual concert. Because, you know, most of the time when we're rehearsing, we're in like a some steel mill or something out in, you know, uh, up in Gallatin or whatever. But uh, when you're rehearsing, it's like I did a show Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then we were in Myrtle Beach last night, uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, for uh, Carolina Country Music Fest. And I got off stage about 12, about 1210. And when I get on the bus, my bus driver's like, strap your ass to the bed. We got to (laughs) go. 
Well, then I'm like, well, you know, I need to drink a little bit to sleep through this. A little nightcap, just a nightcap. At a, yeah, little nightcap. Add a nice right. glass of wine because, you know, when yeah. you're in your, your tour bus, I mean, literally, if the roads are rough, you look like a piece of popcorn popping around. You know, mm. you're just mm. levitating out of the bed. Uh-huh. And um, my 11-year-old started calling me at 6, 6.05 this morning because he's <laughs> freaking out about his birthday trip in August. So... <laughs> I literally text him, if you call me again, I'm going to inflict bodily harm. Your birthday is canceled. Yeah. We're canceling your birthday. Don't. Well, now you're here. We're here. We're here. See you May best. You Saturday made it. morning. So tell us about some of your earliest memories of CMA Fest. I would say so back in 2002, we totally tailgated. Um, that's kind of a song idea, totally tailgated. Anyway. I get a third. I'm and in then the room. We went, oh, no, same. We went to the gas station right there. We bought beer, sat in the parking lot. It was when um, Martina, Martina McBride was on that night, and Where Would You Be Woo! was her big hit at the time. And we had floor seats, and I just sat out there just taking it all in, just being a fan. And to, to go from that moment to be literally a fan tailgating, you know, the work you put in and the, and the steps you got to go through. I mean, I remember getting the first call from when I was playing river stages. I told somebody, it's a long swim across the Cumberland River to get to that big stage. So, 2007, you did river stages. Yeah. And then... Nissan Stadium. It wasn't Nissan Stadium at the time, but it was the stadium. LP Field. After that. Yeah, it, LP it's Field, changed names yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> so when you made that jump, did you feel like you'd made it when you walked out on the stadium stage that year? The, uh, with me, I felt like I made it. I always felt like with every new little accolade or, or achievement, that made me feel like I made it. I never got so far out ahead of myself that I couldn't enjoy the little victories, you know, the little, you know, my first number one, my first, you know, album that went number one, you know, so, so I just felt like I always made it when I got settled here, there was another little level I went to. And, and, and so going over to, you know, by the time I got to the stadium, I mean, I think, you know, Country Girls Shake It For Me was out and Tailgates and Tan Lines, that album was out. And, and it's a really magical time. When you know in your heart, no matter what, you're going to be able to do this for the rest of your life, you're like, there's no fallback plan anymore. Like, I'm going to get to play music for the rest of my life, and that is the most, like, fulfilling thing that you could have when you know that this will be my deal forever. Is that the advice you give? to these artists who are coming into these moments, like playing the stadium for the first time? Is it really to, to take it in and kind of, yeah. you know, revel in the, the point of success they're at? Because it's such a special time. Yeah, that- with me, my, my first thing, I, like when these kids, I mean, when I get a minute with them at American Idol, first thing I tell them is really make sure you have fun and enjoy it because it's all fun. I mean, every different level. I mean, when you're on one tour bus and there's 13, you know, nasty, stinky, sweaty guys that are sleeping on the tour bus, that was fun. And last night at Carolina Country Music Fest, that was fun. And as long as, as an artist, you can make sure you're having fun along the way, that's the main thing. I mean, to make albums and to to put singles out and to go tour, you have to be, you know, you got to wake up every day and be like, it's going to be a lot of work today, but it's so worth it when 
you know, even walking in this room 15 years ago, I would have, my biggest dream would have been in a situation where this many people were in a room to hear me sing or do anything. I mean. Me and Michael Carter, who is, is my band leader and plays in my band, I mean, we would, we would drive and we would load our gear up in the back of a pickup truck and play all through college. And we kind of just got in there and kept climbing. I mean, Michael was on my bus yesterday. We were talking about stuff and you know, when the new Reba album came out, we would go buy it and we would dissect it driving to the next show. And when Diamond Rio and, and Brooks and all the, all the artists of the 90s, we would go buy the albums or in the CDs and we knew them back and forth. And you never know when you're a 19-year-old kid that all those moments are leading you to, you know, present day. And I mean, it's amazing. It's I, at Carolina Country Music Fest yesterday, I was, I'm in a very, I'm in a very uh, heated cycling competition with Dirks Bentley. And Oh, I've heard about uh, this. It's, it's a little confusing because we have to wear the spandex and shit like that. You guys have, don't, don't you have matching? We, we've done matching. Matching spandex? But, so. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I was out riding my bike and the fans were coming in and no one is expecting me to come by wearing um, a weird-ass cycling suit. And right, right. what was amazing is, is there was these girls, you know, it was like five girls, and they had the shirts on, if lost, return to Luke Bryan. So I'm on my bicycle looking weird as hell, and I like, <laughs> these girls are walking, and I spot the shirts, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be awesome. I like pump my brakes. I'm like... I'm like, what's up, girls? <laughs> we need to find these girls on, like, social media. I, we need the story. If anybody knows how to find these girls. It hit them when I was about my fifth big pedal away. <laughs> I am so glad that you didn't wreck or go over the handlebars <laughs> right there, because that would have been the worst if you were like, hey, Boom. I do want to talk about Vegas because it looks like, yes, it looks like you are having the best time. What is it about doing something in Las Vegas that is different and special for you? First of all, the stage is so enormous at Resorts World, but the staging is so state-of-the-art and the, and the lights and the, just the visual stuff is really amazing to be a part of. So Vegas kind of retrains your brain that that's what a show should look like. So when I got on, on my regular tour, and I'm like, I need a lot more stuff out here because of Vegas. But, you know, it would take you 30 semi-trucks to, to load up all the stuff that we're able to do in Vegas. And when you look at the competitive nature of what Vegas is, I mean, everybody has their shows. It becomes a competitive environment where you want the best show. So then what happens is, you know, you hear about, well, what are they doing over at Caesars? And then you're like, well, what's going on at MGM? I mean, Adele's two casinos down, and I'm like, I don't think I can compete with Adele tonight. It's a big look. There's a lot of people in the room that are, you know, they're in Las Vegas for a convention. They don't necessarily know anything about me. They just, they go sit in the seat and I can tell, you know, I can look at my country fans and tell, oh, that's... Then I can be like, that guy has no idea who the hell I am. 
He's got like Versace shoes on, <laughs> you know, gold glasses, hair coming out of his silk shirt. And at that point, it's my goal to make that dude understand entertainment is entertainment. People resonate with somebody that just has fun entertaining. And so that's the cool thing about Vegas. And it's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. That's what's so unique about you. You've got Vegas and you go to Crash My Playa. And then you've got Farm Tour. So you've got these different elements. <laughs> He's like, I can't even think about it. I really can't think of another artist that can play stadium go to somebody's farm and play in a wheat field, yep. then go to Las Vegas, then go to Mexico, which we still haven't been invited to, by the way. We've been what? trying to get I mean, an invite. Or, yeah, we've been trying to get well, an invite. this so, is your invite. Thank you. Everybody it heard it? Everybody's taping that? Good. Okay. But, you know, here's, here's the thing. Seriously, how, how do you plan for each one of those? Because you are so versatile, and you make it all work. Oh, well, thank you. You're um, welcome. I'm on TV, too. Um, <laughs> That's right. Well, <laughs> what's interesting is my Vegas show has to be different contractually than my show on the road. So I have two different shows in my brain right now. And yeah, that ain't going to go well. <laughs> so now, you know, we did, we did our touring show this week. And then so when we go to Vegas, we have to go in a night early and run the Vegas show just so I can reprogram this brain of mine. Fans through the years, I've done a lot of shows, and I've had some concerts where I'm sick, and I had to battle through. And, when I, and early in my career, when I walked off stage, I thought my career was over. I literally, I was like, you just bombed in Jacksonville. You'll never be able to go back to Jacksonville. And then we put Jacksonville on the market. What I'm getting at is country music fans, they give you grace. They give you slack. If you're having a bad night, go out there and say, guys, this is a bad night. Let's have some damn fun. So if we go to Crash My Playa and I mess up a couple songs, it ain't the end of the world. It's Mexico. Everybody's tore down drunk anyway. <laughs> and then with Farm Tour, my, my main thing is always just be real in the moment. Never go out there and not be spontaneous. Not, you know, the, you know some of my best memories through the years are when I get a little kid up to sing. That moment right there that I didn't plan becomes the biggest moment of the night. So, you know, with all these things going on, just, just be non-robotic. Go out there and make something unique every night. Last night, we come out on one margarita. You know, I got my big margarita, and I'm like, Dun, da, 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 da. and I'm shaking my margarita at the edge of the stage, and I look down, and I literally dumped my margarita on top of a policeman's head. Yikes. And he has margarita all like, it's, it's under his bulletproof vest. Oh. And I'm like, dude, and it was a funny moment. I was apologizing to him. Well, this morning, all of the local socials and stuff, they have me dumping my margarita on that guy. Nobody commented on how my voice was, you know. And <laughs> nobody, nobody ever said, oh, that was vocally the most amazing thing, you know. <laughs> It was up there with Chris Stapleton. I didn't get any of that. And don't drive too fast through Myrtle Beach because the cops now have it out for you. Yeah, yes. they got it out. Yeah, yeah I better have, better have my insurance card on me. Yeah. 
last month, Elvis Presley's biopic starring Austin Butler debuted in theaters, and so far, we have heard rave reviews. In honor of the new film, we're going to rediscover the country roots of the best-selling solo music artist of all time. Told from the perspective of his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, who's played by Tom Hanks, the movie showcases the roller coaster that was Elvis's life and career. The soundtrack features several original recordings of his classics like Burnin' Love and Suspicious Minds. Many of his other songs have also been reimagined for the film by today's artists like Eminem, CeeLo Green, and Casey Musgraves. Now, he might have been known as the king of rock and roll, but Elvis was no stranger to the country music industry. In fact, he grew up listening to the Grand Ole Opry, had 10 songs top the country music charts, and was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1998. On this episode of Rediscover, we're taking a look back at the music that stemmed from those deep country roots. On January 8th, 1935, Elvis Aaron Presley was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. When he turned 13 years old, Elvis and his parents relocated to Memphis, where he began showing an interest in singing, especially in church. His love for music grew stronger and stronger as he learned about the various musical stylings of country, blues, and his favorite genre, gospel. But school came first, and in 1953, Elvis became the first member of his immediate family to graduate with a high school diploma. Then he started to get more involved with music while also working various jobs at an electric company. I'm guessing that job didn't last too long. It lasted until he ventured into Sun Records, where the studio owner, Sam Phillips, gave him an opportunity to get his foot in the door of the music industry. And just one year post-graduation, he signed with Sun Records. In his early career, Elvis was considered a country artist, but his rock and blues influences can all be heard in his recording of That's All Right. Well, that's all right, mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, mama. Just any way you do, that's all right. This song ended up being Elvis's debut single. Elvis really upped the ante when he decided to back the song with a cover of Bill Monroe's hit, Blue Moon of Kentucky. This song is what earned him an invitation to perform on the Grand Ole Opry, which was held at the Ryman Auditorium back then. Now, on the night of his one and only Opry performance, Elvis got to meet the man behind the song, also a future Hall of Famer, Bill Monroe. Although he wouldn't return to that stage, Elvis did receive a stamp of approval on his performance from Mr. Monroe that night. Elvis may not have received another invitation from the Opry, but he did get invited to play the Louisiana Hayride. On this show, he was known as the Hillbilly Cat. And there he made connections that led him to tour with the likes of Hank Snow and Johnny Cash. Can you imagine having seen Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley on the same stage? Like, what a night. <laughs> Incredible. That same year, Elvis's contract was bought out by RCA Records, but he received some surprise news just one week before releasing his debut single with a new label. That's right. As a final farewell to Sun Records, Elvis earned his first number one hit with I Forgot to Remember to Forget. This was just the start to a whole slew of hits on both the country and pop charts. Within weeks, he replaced himself in the top spot with his first RCA single, Heartbreak Hotel. He's one of the few country acts to bump themselves out of number one. 
Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lone Street, that heartbreak hotel where I'll be. This song was a game changer for Elvis. One of his most iconic rock songs has a bit of country music history to it, even though Elvis never charted it country. I'm talking about his sped-up cover of Carl Perkins' Blue Suede Shoes. That's right. Carl wrote the song after Johnny Cash told him a story about a man he had met in the Air Force. The guy prided himself on his spiffy clothes and always said, don't step on my blue suede shoes. I mean, that is a fair request, knowing how easily suede can be ruined. <laughs> well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and I go, can't go, but don't you step on my blue suede shoes. Fun fact, Carl Perkins' version of the song peaked at number two on the country chart. It was blocked from the number one spot by Elvis's Heartbreak Hotel. I'm sure Carl made enough money in royalties from Elvis's version to forgive him for it. <laughs> Other big hits that top the country chart for the king of rock and roll include Hound Dog, Don't Be Cruel, Jailhouse Rock, and Teddy Bear. Teddy Bear came from the soundtrack of an Elvis movie called Loving You. The King made a shift from music to TV in the 1960s. He had an eight-year drought where he didn't chart anything country between 1960 and 1968. Now we have to talk about that infamous recording session of 1970, when Elvis ended up recording 30 songs in a massive all-day, all-night session in Nashville's famous RCA Studio B. Are You Lonesome Tonight and Crying in the Chapel were among the tracks that were created in that time frame. Think of all of the caffeine they must have needed to get through that night. That's the first <laughs> thing I thought about. It was probably more than caffeine. <laughs> good point. Good point. Elvis had decent luck with cover songs in the early 70s. He broke into the country top 20 with a Mac Davis song called Don't Cry Daddy, as well as a Jack Green hit, There Goes My Everything. Now, this was the time period that we got always on my mind. Willie Nelson probably has the most famous version, but Elvis actually recorded it in early 1972, just shortly after separating from his wife Priscilla. You were always on my mind. On the outside, he was delivering a powerful performance. But on the inside, he was suffering from depression and years of drug abuse. The world didn't know it at the time. But when Moody Blue hit number one in February of 1977, it would be the last number one country song of Elvis's lifetime. Although he topped the chart twice more after he died. He was just 43 years old in August of 1977 when he passed away at his Memphis home. This day was a worldwide tragedy, but we are honored to get to carry on his legacy and his story today. Now that we've rediscovered his inner cowboy, head over to the Rediscover Elvis playlist on Amazon Music. And just like that, season one is in the books. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be encoring some past episodes of Country Heat Weekly, including Jimmy Allen and Walker Hayes. 
The break is also a good chance to catch up on any episodes that you may have missed. We have done 31 shows since Country Heat Weekly launched. That was the week of CMA Awards in 2021. And don't worry, we are working on season two and have lined up some guests already. So let us know who you want us to showcase center stage on the pod. You can find us both on Twitter and Instagram. I'm the Kelly Sutton. And I'm Hey, it's Amber A. Use the hashtag Country Heat Weekly so we can keep the party going. Kelly, do you have a favorite moment from season one? I think talking to Dolly Parton was pretty cool. Anytime that I get a chance to interview Dolly and actually be in that orbit is pretty magical. I love Ed Sheeran. I've always thought in his early days, when I would hear his little voice, I used to think, boy, I bet we could sing something beautiful together. So maybe someday I can do something with him. I'd like to. What about you? I mean, you know I'm going to say Jordan Davis. That's right. (laughs) The answer is always Jordan Davis. Here's to lots more great moments in season two. Thanks for listening, everybody. Looking for a summer beach read? Our burning questions here to help. This week we asked the stars, what was the last book you read? So Amber, what was the last book you read? I'm really into rom-coms right now. So the last book I listened to is called The Love Hypothesis. Oh, okay. What about you? Daisy Jones and the Six. (gasps) One of my favorites. It's so good. They're turning it into a movie. I can't wait. Oh, really? Yes, so good. Oh, I love it. Okay. For Gabby Barrett, Carrie Underwood, and Dina Carter, it was the most widely published book of all time. I read my Bible. Other than Find Your Path. my book uh I, I i my husband and i like read the bible in the mornings just to kind of set the tone for our day the bible i can't say as a whole what would be the last book i read i don't even know because i read the bible and i watch youtube now <laughs> and, and listen to podcasts and you know we're all in a digital world so reading a book is I did get Shannon Bream's book that she wrote about the women of the Bible, and I got partially through that. So I'm working my way through that right now. Dina's not the only one who didn't have a recent read. Check out what Russell Dickerson told us. Goosebumps in like third grade. <laughs> He's reading a lot of Llama Llama Red Pajama these days. <laughs> Here's a few more book recs from Maren Morris, TJ Osborne, and Dirk Bentley. I loved Stanley Tucci's memoirs. The Velvet Rage. I'm reading a uh, last book of Gentleman in Moscow. <sighs> really good. Amos Tori, I think his last name is. And I'm also reading Albert Brooks' book called Strength to Strength and The Candy House. I'm reading like three books. Country Heat Weekly is a collaborative production between Amazon Music and Nevermind Media. Executive producer is Melissa Locker. Senior producer is Joyce Reiser. Recording engineer, Aaron Dethridge. Sound design by Tim Einenkel. Production assistance from Annie Reuter, Debbie Daughtry, Madeline O'Connell, and Jeremy Chua. Our theme song, Country Time, was written and performed by Mia Byrne, with additional music from Madeline McCormack. The Amazon Music team includes Nathan Brackett, Emily Cohen, Chris Graham, Michelle Kammerer, Eliza Mills, Morgan Jones, and Raymond Roker. Development consultant, Michelle Dix. Additional production support from Marley, Steve, Grace, Winnie, Moses, Wicket, Abby, Jake, Osmo, and all the other very good dogs out there. Be sure to follow Country Heat Weekly on Amazon Music or wherever you listen to podcasts so you get the latest episodes just as soon as they drop. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. 
Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.